0: And welcome to the new season of Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We have gone on an epic journey through the symbolism of the 78 cards of the tarot deck, and in this season, we are applying esoteric filters to the deck, examining it through a variety of astrological, cabalistic, numeric, and other lenses. We're starting things out with seven episodes on the planets and their influence on tarot. But please don't worry if you haven't quote-unquote caught up yet. You can drop in anywhere with Fortune's Wheelhouse. As a podcast, Fortune's Wheelhouse is here to support your own hunt for meaning in whatever sequence that takes you. And remember, if you're diving in at random and one of us says something inscrutable, like, Chesed is the Keter of the Lower Sephirot, we do have... Lots of resources to help with that on our website, www.patreon.com slash fortuneswheelhouse, where you can sign up and get access to all of that content for as little as a dollar. There are also a couple of other places where you can check in with us online. You can visit Mel at tabulamundi.com. And you can visit me at tsusanchang.com. You can also join over 450 smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends at the Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy Group on Facebook. Before we get going on this week's episode, quick word about last week's show on Tarot and the Deccans with Austin Kopic. You might recall I mentioned that that was just one half of of a two-part conversation on tarot and astrology. Now you can hear the other half of that conversation on Austin's podcast, Eavesdropping at Midnight, to which you should subscribe, and you can also support Austin's work on Patreon. It's worth listening to both halves of the conversation because they're quite different, actually. On the Fortune's Wheelhouse half, which we aired last week, we covered specific issues relating to the Deccans and the Miners. But on Eavesdropping at Midnight, the other half of our talk, we discussed a number of interesting, wider general issues common to tarot, astrology, and magic. I'm sure you'll find the conversation interesting, no matter what kind of practitioner you are. Anyway, our giveaway for the Deccans episode was a Fortune's Wheelhouse notebook imprinted with the wheel of decanic correspondences, and our winner was Devon in Ontario. Congratulations, Devon. If you'd like your own nerdy chart of decanic correspondences to study and engrave on your heart, you can order up your own Deccan notebook or a poster version on our Red Bubble shop, www.redbubble.com, slash people, slash wheelhouse ninety three, slash shop. Or, of course, you can find the chart in my book, Tarot Correspondences Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, which has, as you know, all the charts. This week, We're talking about Saturn, whose corresponding card in the Major Arcana is the World or Universe card. So for this week's giveaway, we are offering one lucky winner a copy of Mel's Liber Mundi book, which features the beautiful dancing maiden of the universe from Tabula Mundi on its cover. Or, if you already have Liber Mundi because you're awesome, you can choose instead a matted print of the universe. And if you cannot wait for the fickle finger of fate to choose you, You can buy both the book and the universe print at Mel's website, www.tarotcart.com. As always, you can sign up as a patron and find out more about the drawing at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. And now, here's this week's episode. We are here to talk about our seventh and final planet in the planetary episode sequence of Fortune's Wheelhouse. And that, of course, is Saturn. (laughs) Saturn is the reason that we uh, started on the other end with the moon, but we knew we'd have to come here eventually. And here we are. As usual, we're going to start with our invocation of Saturn, of sorts. Uh, this is the hymn to Kronos, the Greek form of Saturn. It's hymn number 13 of the Orphic hymns. And as usual, I'll be doing the Greek side of it, and Mel will be doing the English side, the Apostolos Athanasakis translation. It is one of the shorter ones, but one thing that I really like about this in the Greek that's a little bit different from the other ones is that It has almost perfect meter. It's extremely rhythmic. And so I will try to do it justice.
1: (laughs) And that's very appropriate for Saturn, both doing it justice and having perfect meter. (laughs) Exactly,
0: because of the the sort of disciplined, metrical cadence that we might expect with the most disciplined of planets. Okay, here goes. (laughs) I thales macaron teteon, paterae
1: decaianthron. Everlasting Father of blessed gods and men, poikilo bou lamianta megasthenes alkimetitan, resourceful, pure, mighty and powerful Titan,
0: hostapanais menhapanta kai auxe
1: You consume all things and replenish them too.
0: Desmus rectus hosteches kata peirona kosmon.
1: Unbreakable is the hold you have on the boundless cosmos.
0: Ionos crone pangenetor crone poikilo mythe.
1: O Cronos, begetter of time, Kronos of contrasting discourse.
0: Gaes te blastema uranu asteruentos.
1: Child of earth and starry sky. Genna fiu e meosi reasposi semne prometheu. In you there is birth and decline, August and prudent lord of Rhea.
0: hosnaies catapanta mere cosmoio genarcha.
1: Who as progenitor dwell in every part of the world. Anculometa me
0: ta feriste cluon da ridafonen.
1: Hear my suppliant voice, O wily and brave one. Pempoise bonbio tu telos aiena mempton. And bring an ever blameless end to a good life.
0: Yes, please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um. Do you ever use Saturn magically for anything uh, in particular? Well, you know,
0: I haven't, but I can conceive doing it. You know, I can imagine using it for self discipline
1: for sure. Another thing that I think is really good to ask Saturn for is when you need more time. More
0: time. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that. But yes, you know, it's interesting. And we'll talk about this later. There's a whole tradition of asking uh, Saturn for longevity. Yeah, more time. Yeah, more time, exactly, for old age. Yeah, or for, uh, well, I guess, and I guess that's in the hymn as well, kind of, you know, a good end, a long life. You know, I would also use him for agricultural things. I haven't. That that might be my problem with gardening. (laughs) I could use a bit more Saturn with the gardening because it requires so much... um, Toil. Yeah, Uh so much effort, so much toil, so much willingness to get dirty, and, you know, so much patience. And all of those are are Saturn things.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So the cards that we're going to be covering in this episode are, of course, the world as Saturn... World or the universe. And then we'll be talking about the two zodiacal majors associated with Saturn. So that's the devil for Capricorn and the star for Aquarius, as well as the decanic minors associated with each of those. So the two, three, and four of disks. For Capricorn and the devil, being change, work, and power. And then the five, six, and seven of swords for the star slash Aquarius. And those, of course, are defeat, science, and futility. Then we'll be talking about the five decanic minors of Saturn, which are the seven of pentacles, the lord of failure, Saturn and Taurus, the five of wands, the Lord of Strife, Saturn in Leo, the Three of Swords, everybody's favorite, the Lord of Sorrow, Saturn in
1: Libra. It's the best of the
0: bunch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Libra 2, second decan of Libra, the Ten of Wands, Saturn in Sagittarius, third decan, the Lord of Oppression, and finally, last but not least, the Eight of Cups, the Lord of Indolence or Abandoned Success, um, Saturn in the first decan of Pisces. Oh, and then we will oh, also be doing all the, oh, all the threes. Yes. You know, yep. I got myself mixed up and I was going to do all of the
1: tens. But Ah, um, well, I could see that see that the, also applies, Saturn yeah. and Earth, which, you know, we'll talk about. But uh, so the threes about, and yeah. the tens. I forgot about the tens. You forgot about the threes. But... <laughs> well, we'll
0: we'll uh we'll attempt to do them both. Let me just uh add a note to my thing down here. It's a good thing we both forgot the opposite thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the threes, of course, would be um, virtue, virtue, abundance, sorrow, and works. And the tens are oppression, satiety, ruin, and wealth. So that means that we also have decanic minors that are three and ten. So those are sort of doubly Saturnian or Saturnine. um, Yes. As the case may be. All right. Shall we begin with the astronomy as usual?
1: Yeah. So what can we say about Saturn. Well, one thing that's interesting is that it's, it's almost as big as Jupiter. It's the uh, second largest in our series, but if you count the rings, its diameter becomes larger and it's twice as far away. From Earth as Jupiter is, so so even though it's that far away, we still can see it with the naked eye. Yes, and, and
0: that of course is it was the last of the visible planets for 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 thousands of years. I think
1: it, Uranus right. wasn't discovered until 1780. Neat. I think that's why they call Saturn the dweller on the threshold,
0: mm. because
1: not only is it the last of the visible you know planets in the solar system but you know if you look at the tree of life too it's the only one above the abyss you know across daat mm-hmm. and um after that there's just the the zodiac and the prima mobile you know uh it's kind of like a warden on the on the edge of it all there with the abyss between us and it you know
0: yes i think you know if you look at those medieval and renaissance the conceptions of how the spheres worked, the concentric sphere model, Saturn was always sort of right there at the outside. And beyond that would be just as we see on the tree of life, the realm of the stars of the constellations. And then beyond that, the prima mobile. So the the, the first mover or the force that gives motion to the whole shebang. And it was interesting because I've seen a conception of the fixed stars as being kind of like this protective black canvas with pinpricks in it <laughs> right that to, that protects us from the uh the unbearable light of the divine that's a cabalistic idea
1: you know what else is really interesting about saturn in an astronomical sense you know we think of saturn and we think of it as being really heavy right mm-hmm. a heavy a heavy psychological force but in reality, it's one of the least dense planets. It might be the, the least dense, and it's so light that if you if you if you if there was an ocean <laughs> big enough to hold it, it would float. That's so weird. Yeah, isn't that weird?
0: <laughs> People have always thought of Saturn as special in a way. Um, I think because it's so far out there, it's always been kind of associated with this idea of being at the fringes of the known universe, yeah, and therefore it's scary. Like the,
1: the, the bridge between the material world and what lies out there.
0: Yes, yeah. in fact, the Arabic name for for Saturn is Zuhal or Zahal, and that just is a cognate of like far or distant, whereas the um Hebrew name for it is Shabbatai, which is cognate with Sabbath. So, you know, when you think about the Sabbath, different different um Religions, of course, hold it on different days. It could be Friday, it could be Saturday, it could be Sunday. But it's always set apart. It's always special. It's always different. So there is a sort of conflation as these religious traditions developed. The set-aside special day became associated with Saturn, our That's most distant uh, really
1: interesting because I think there are also other names for Saturn that kind of conflate it with Satan. Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: interesting that You know, there are all these connections between Saturn, which is the farthest off, and Earth, which is, you know, right here. There's kind of a conflation of the two in Hermetic Kabbalah, at least, where the two of them have this interdependent mother-daughter relationship.
1: Yeah, and it's similar to how the fact that there's this relationship between we're gonna see when we start talking about the cards, but the universe and the fool, that connection between Malkut and the supernals.
0: Absolutely.
1: What comes around goes around.
0: Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot more later, but it's interesting that you have like, you know, Saturn and then you have Jupiter, and they have that relationship as basically father and son out there, you know, on the fringes, the generational chronos to Zeus. Um, connection, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And if you look at the, the symbols for the planet Jupiter and the planet <laughs> Saturn, they're both composed of the same elements. So they're both composed of like a crescent or semicircle and a cross, except in Saturn's case, it's inverted. In, yes. in Jupiter's case, the crescent is above the cross of matter. And in Saturn's case, the cross of matter is above the, the crescent.
0: Right. Looking a whole lot like a sickle. And you know, it's yeah. really weird. Three crows have been just like cavorting outside my window. Really? Bird of well, Saturn. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I notice that a lot on Saturdays, actually, when I'm doing rites. There's always some kind of crow talking right during the middle of rites. So Saturn, I guess, historically wasn't just the, the terminus of the known universe, but also this fertility god as well. So that's going to be something that we, I guess, will see reflected in the cards and some of the... Yeah,
1: the reaper that also harvests...
0: Yeah, what exactly does well the reaper souls. harvest? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, anything else we want to say about the astronomy?
1: Oh, there's not much to say. It has 10 moons last time I checked, which 10 is, a, it's a pretty nice um, connection with You know, the number 10.
0: Any of them have, um, you know, evocative names? I didn't look up the names.
1: Here, let's... I bet bet they do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I bet they do. I'm going to do a quick Wikipedia. Do a um, quick search, see if there's any good ones. Yeah. Let's see. Moons of Saturn. Okay. Enceladus Titan. Oh, Titan, of course. Mimas, Dione, Tethys, Iapetus. Tethys. Tethys, Mm. yeah. Rhea, of course. Epimetheus. (laughs) Uh, Hyperion. Phoebe, Hmm. oh Phoebe, Uh, Pan. Actually, this just keeps going on. Daphnis, Telesto, Atlas, Polydeuces. I don't know how many of these. There's more than ten now. Yeah, looks like it. Let me see. I I guess it makes sense that it would have some of those
1: have some resonance. Atlas and yeah, uh, okay. Oh, it says uh...
0: they range from tiny moonlets less than a kilometer across to the enormous titan which is larger than the planet mercury they have 62 it has 62 moons with confirmed orbits mm. i wonder yes. if it just
1: if the 10 is just you know the large ones that yeah moonlets yeah 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 if you think about it the rings are actually supposed to be little bits of ice and rock from a possibly from a moon that was crushed and destroyed into rubble and now it <laughs> orbits around us that seems
0: totally appropriate <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah titan is the second largest moon in the solar system after ganymede which is interesting sort of that similar that's a moon yeah. of jupiter so similar situation there yeah so it kind of makes sense that saturn would be so prolific first of all that there are so many children and secondly that they're produced through <laughs> destructive acts <laughs> Astrology?
1: Or myth? Astrology, I guess. Unless you want to do myth, I could go either way. Yeah. Well, you know, since we mentioned it, maybe we should talk about Kronos. And we should talk a little bit about the kind of conflation between Kronos CH and Kronos K. Yeah. They tend to get, you know, merged into kind of one archetype. Yeah. Yeah, it's two distinct, you know, forms, but they get kind of thought of as the same thing because there's so many similarities in both in right. name and in function, I guess you would say.
0: That's so interesting. I never really thought about it, but yeah, it's Kronos with a Kappa is the father of Zeus, the Titan. And then Kronos with a Kai or key is um, the God of time. So yes. that's really interesting.
1: Hmm. Right. And they, but they seem to kind of have been merged in our minds into one.
0: And Cronus, of course, was the god who swallowed
1: his children <laughs> one by one. Well, most people know that myth. So, Cronus with a K was the child of Uranus and Gaia, or mm-hmm. of sky and earth. And he overthrew and castrated his own father. And in time, that's exactly what happened to him by one of his own children, Zeus. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, it was prophesied Zeus's mother Rhea prophesied that one of the sons would dethrone Cronus and so he immediately swallowed each of his children as they were born so Hestia then Demeter then Hera then Hades then Poseidon and by that time Rhea kind of had enough she smuggled the child Zeus away and uh, gave him to these uh, goat nymph Uh, there was a goat nymph amalthea that suckled him and and fed him and two other nymphs daughters of the malicious eo and adrastea who fed him honey and so basically they took care of him while he was an infant they hung his golden cradle in a tree so it was said so that he could not be found in heaven he was neither in the sky nor on the sea nor on the earth he was, you know, in the limbs of this tree mm. from a golden cradle so that Cronus couldn't find him.
0: And in and the meantime, uh, he Cronus was given a stone wrapped in swaddling clothes. Mm-hmm.
1: So Rhea gave Cronus a stone wrapped in swaddling clothes and he swallowed that instead. And interestingly, you know, the stone that they say is is Planted uh, somewhere in Delphi. They call it the 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 Omphalos. Omphalos, yes, which
0: is the belly of the world. Well,
1: that was the stone
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, that she wrapped up and and gave to him to swallow. So, anyway, um, eventually, Zeus comes to Rhea and they concoct this plan to make Zeus his cup, Cronus's cupbearer. And so she gives him this emetic poison and he puts it into his father's cup, and then he vomits up all his siblings, basically. <laughs> Zeus and his siblings go on to uh, release the Titans that Cronus had imprisoned and get them, the Cyclops and the Hundred-Handed Ones, and he gets them on their side to overthrow Cronus and uh, the Titans that are on his side in the War of the Titans. And so uh, the Hundred-Handed Ones and the Cyclops gave Zeus his thunderbolt and they gave Hades a helm of darkness and they gave Poseidon his trident and so Hades could could sneak up on Cronus and they eventually like distract him and uh, defeat him and uh, exile him to Tartarus
0: yeah and it's Zeus who and zeus slash Jupiter who ends the cycle, which is sort of consonant with the myth of Zeus as or the myth of Jupiter as being the one with the sort of larger world view that allows you to escape these sort of um self perpetuating cycles,
1: yeah, I think it's really interesting that when you look at the mythologies around the Saturn card, the universe card, what you come up with creation myths. The creations of the gods and the creations of the world even. There's a lesser known myth that is really appropriate, especially when you look at the Thoth version where the maiden is dancing or wrestling with the snake. There's a pre-classical Greek myth about Eurynome. She was a titan and she was a consort of Zeus and she gave birth to the Three Graces. But in earlier pre-classical mythology she was actually the supreme creatrix so mm-hmm. she rose rose naked the maiden rose naked from chaos the the vast dark that was all there was she arose from chaos and because there was nothing she had nothing to rest her feet on so she divided the sea from the sky to to give her waves to dance upon and Mm -hmm. she danced upon the waves and her motion created the north wind and she caught the north wind and rubbed it between her hands and behold it turned into the great serpent Ophion Mm -hmm. so she danced with Ophion to keep herself warm until he grew lustful and entwined with her impregnating her she then turned herself into a dove and laid the world egg The universal Orphic egg. Which we Um, see
0: so clearly illustrated in the Thoth card, particularly.
1: Yes. So then Ophion the serpent, she instructed him to curl seven times around the egg until it hatched. And then it split in half and out came everything that exists, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, rivers, trees, mountains, and all creatures, not yet man. So then Urinome and Ophion made their home at Mount Olympus. They were the first rulers, according to this earlier myth, mm-hmm. um, until the serpent, Ophion, pissed her off by claiming that he made the universe. <laughs> and so she bruised his head with her heel and kicked out his teeth and banished him to the dark caves beneath the earth. You and go, then- girl. She went ahead and assigned two Titans. She made the planetary powers and she assigned a power to each planet and two Titans to each planet. And then she created the first man. So to Saturn, she assigned the power of peace and Rhea and Cronus were assigned Saturn.
0: Yeah. So many different elements are sort of blended together in that myth and I think it makes a lot of sense when you think about the iconography of the world that Lady Frida or even Pamela Coleman Smith channeled or were given. We're seeing a lot of those cosmological elements.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of different ones, and they it gets really confusing because, you know, they assign different gods to this create to the creation process for example there's another myth that says that the egg was born directly out of well chaos was the father of chronos time mm-hmm. and from from chronos came the egg that fanes the light bringer came out of so you know. Yes,
0: yes. Isn't there and, and the idea? And in that idea? one, Kronos is
1: a child of Uranus and Gaia. So it gets really confusing, like there's different opinions to which Titans were the first.
0: Right. Yeah, I think at one time we also talked about chaos as the child of necessity, Ananke and, and time. Time and necessity, yeah. Kronos, yeah, which is fascinating. And I also think that the egg yeah, is... It-
1: I really think good there's a myth metaphor. too, that Kronos was self-born that he didn't have you know in some mm-hmm. in some of the myths he's the son of Uranus and Gaia and I think that's Kronos with k and we get that's where you get into confusion so right. Kronos with a k was the son of Uranus and Gaia or mm-hmm. Kronos, ch time was self-born and then he produced the aether and the world egg and phanes and all this stuff um, but it's it is kind of confusing, and then there's the whole connection with you know Eros. Rather than Eros is involved in that, like in in Hesiod, I think you know Chaos was open space, and from that arose Gaia, and then Eros, and Eros wasn't the the um, the child of Aphrodite and and the Carib that we commonly think of he was a more uh, primordial god that then you know created the world
0: so, so no matter which um version we are looking at there are always these same sort of themes of time and creation and yes. egg. Um
1: yeah arising from darkness and and chaos. time mm-hmm. comes comes everything
0: Right. That's, this is something that's so interesting about myth generally. It's sort of like always the same ingredients, sometimes different order, <laughs> sometimes Great. slightly different characters, but the story is at some level the same. And
1: yeah, is, on a yeah. feeling level, it's the same.
0: Yeah. It's, it, this is one reason that I was never quite able to imagine what it would be like to be a scholar of myth because There's an impulse to, as a scholar, to dissect and analyze and make sure that everything is sort of understood in its right sequence and place. But myth itself has this tendency to collectivize and aggregate and enter the unconscious as this big
1: soup. (laughs) Yeah, and it morphs over time, as all things do. As all things do.
0: Oh, and yes, about the egg, you know, I think the egg is particularly... Important as a symbol for us, I think, in tarot and in esotericism because it encapsulates those themes of enclosure and separateness. You know, the idea that it's confining but also safe and a place to nurture and, and to grow. So we will probably get back to that later when we talk about the way that Saturn's confinement plays out
1: through tarot. Yeah, the, the the difference between Restriction as being a limiting force, but also as something that's necessary to turn force into form. Exactly. Is it your safe
0: place or is it your prison? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So maybe we can talk a bit about the astrology of Saturn now. Saturn, of course, in the Thema Mundi, it's the farthest out. So with Sun and Moon at the center, that's Cancer and Leo. And then the next ones out are the signs of Mercury, then the signs of Venus and the signs of Mars and the signs of Jupiter. And last of all, the signs of Saturn, which are Capricorn and Aquarius, right? Yeah, which
1: explains why they're both considered cold
0: Yes. And why in the Northern Hemisphere, nothing really grows during the time of Saturn. <laughs> so his rulerships are Capricorn and Aquarius. His detriment, that means are, of course, Cancer and Leo, the, the signs of the luminaries because he's cold, dark and distant. And then the, um, the exaltation, of course, is at 21 degrees of Libra, which means that the fall is in Aries. Yep. That's interesting because it's opposite To the sun's exaltation and fall, kind Mm -hmm. of highlighting their opposite natures. The sun is the life giver and Saturn is being unsupportive of life. But also, on the one hand, the sun is, you know, doing best, expressing as individuality and, you know, doing worst when it's in relationship. And Saturn is actually being the acknowledgement of the other, you know, the doing best when it creates bonds and unbreakable bonds between separate entities.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting that the sun and Saturn are so opposite. You know, one's light and one's darkness. But in a sense, they're two sides of the same coin because Mm -hmm. of that polarity. Even though they seem like bitter enemies, you can't have one without the other. Yeah, you have to have the shadow as well as the light. (laughs) So Saturn, I think of it astrologically as the concept of evolution through time karma and testing and that you know the purpose of life isn't merely to go through and enjoy it but to evolve uh Mm -hmm. through the tests and to gain experience and wisdom through the passage of time and through your persistence it's like you know growing through your obligations and your responsibilities and the obstacles you have to overcome your your duties and your sorrows
0: Right. And recognizing that it is a cycle, ultimately, I think there's there's almost more of an emphasis on recognizing cyclical patterns in Saturn than in other planets, because, you know, from dust you came and to dust you will return. Again, that sort of like reminds us that while Saturn is the ending, it's also the beginning. It's also the, you know, the blackness of death and the blackness of the womb from which you arise.
1: There's definitely themes of ending and beginning
0: right although interestingly i think in modern astrology we tend to or even really traditional astrology we so we so tend to emphasize the ending side of
1: saturn yeah the restricted force of saturn but you know you can't die unless you've been born and as soon as you're born you're on your way towards dying as they say <laughs> the, the, the clock is ticking <laughs> yes yeah what was it the um
0: the, the cause of death was birth. <laughs> yeah.
1: He not busy being born is busy dying, as Bob yes. Dylan said. <laughs> yeah, you know, another and- interesting thing is that so we've got the two signs, the, the, the day sign of Capricorn and, and the night sign of Aquarius. And we could talk a little bit about the difference how mm-hmm. Saturn manifests in each of those signs.
0: Yes, absolutely. I was just listening to a, a show I've listened to a number of times now, which is Chris Brennan's rundown of the 12 signs of the Zodiac and on the astrology podcast, that show he did with Austin and Kelly Certes, and one of the things that they talked about, I think specifically, Austin talked about, was this idea that Saturn is the wall, and that there's the inside of the wall, and there's the outside of the wall. And you know, when you think about the wall, I immediately think about the wreath, or the um, or the oval, or the Vesica Piscis within the world or universe card, and I think about you know Capricorn as everything within the wall and Aquarius is everything outside of it. And the idea, I think, is... I like that. that. Yeah, yeah. It's like within the wall, you know, the emphasis is on construction, what you can make of yourself, fertility, again, and controlling everything within the laws of gravity or laws of physics, rules of the game that you have to deal with. But outside, there are these questions of exile, right? The ideal that you're an outsider, that you are trying to imagine a system that is better or more ideal or measured in the abstract, whereas the Capricornian focus is more on measures of concrete things.
1: It kind of fits with their their motto. So Capricorn I use versus Aquarius's I know. So (laughs) in Capricorn, you know, has the blueprints, has the building blocks, wants to use its resources to be industrious and ambitious and build something. And Aquarius, as you said, is more the outsider, the the more abstract view where it's looking at these and saying, well, how can I idealize and improve this? How can I reform it? You know, how can I, how can I make it better for mankind?
0: Yeah, I think that you know, when we look at the devil card as Capricorn, the child of the forces of time, the lord of the gates of matter, there's this mastery over everything that's known and familiar, you know, an ability to follow the rules and profit by them, as well as mm-hmm. to sort of think long term and structurally. Yeah, and I think it's definitely very body centered, very survival oriented and you know, heavy and serious and feminine, (laughs) you know, and, and I often think of that when people talk about the devil, and they're sort of nervous when they see it, I say, you know, this is an opportunity to kind of channel the part of yourself that's the master of the game, you know, that knows how to win this world and this life. Yeah, even though it's the the rules are the chains that bind us, and we may not like them, but we can also use them to our advantage. Whereas, the star, of course, is like okay. I'm gonna get rid of the chains. I'm gonna get rid of the rules. I'm gonna make I'm my gonna own get naked. rules. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, I think of um, the star is being, of course, a card of idealism and hope, but it's derived from an ability to think about systems and kind of reimagine, I think Austin called it castles in the sky, you know, new imaginal structures that might be better for humanity. Maybe not so good for an individual human, <laughs> but for everybody as
1: a collector. Yeah, Aquarius is interesting because it's got, you know, the classical planet Saturn, but it also has the modern... Planet Uranus, there's this okay traditional versus revolutionary. You mm-hmm. know, which side of that are you going to fall on?
0: Right, and it also reminds me of the kind of separation. So, um, so this is an idea that 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 uh, I think I read about in Kabbalah about the idea that separation, which is a specialty of Saturn, is something you have to have in order for people to survive. So like, you know, the first thing that God does on the first day of creation is to separate the waters, right? The sea and the sky. And And that's, yeah,
1: that's the first thing Eury did too. Yeah,
0: Yeah, 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 that's right. That's when you said that. I was reminded of that. And, and of course, I always think of that with the star, which is this airy, But crypto water sign.
1: Dweller between the waters. Exactly. And the sky, daughter of the firmament. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Waters of the ski, (laughs) waters of the ski, waters of the sea and waters of the sky which we also see in um you know when we when we talk about the seas of bina we're also talking about double waters of the sea and sky the, it's a, it's so interesting when you think about saturn as being that dweller on the threshold it's sort of like you look inside towards earth and that's capricorn slash the devil you look outside towards yes. literally the stars and there are the stars
1: yep that's i was thinking the same thing so it's the boundary yeah like that that circle that we see in the universe card, that uh,
0: demarcation line between the known and the unknown. And in order to survive and thrive there, there have to be rules and structures. Otherwise it's just chaos as we were saying before. So in terms of like, you know, the, the magical uses of the devil and the star, you know, as aspects of Saturn, I think that, um, the devil, I think you can work with him to master. Well, to master addictions, in the same way that the the uh, the symptom is the cure, right? It's sort of like since yeah. since Saturn is in charge of these sorts of things, we can ask him for help with them.
1: Right, bindings
0: and releasings. Exactly. And uh, as far as the star goes, I think it's good for holding on to who you are in unfamiliar situations, uh, for, for inspiring hope when you're feeling
1: hopeless. You know, people use it for that all the time. And, for looking outside of yourself.
0: Yeah, and to sort of follow your ideals. It's interesting, if you look at magical texts, there's something interesting they say about Saturn, which is that you can also appeal to Jupiter because he represents everything that's opposite to Saturn. So you can either ask Saturn to hold back a little bit, or you can ask Jupiter to kind of counter the Saturn. Um, There's also a similar thing that magicians would do with Mars and Venus, right? So it's like either ask Mars to hold back a little or ask Venus to come in and provide countermeasures.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I wonder if
0: before we get too far into, um, more Capricorn and Aquarius, cause there's loads of that. We should probably talk a bit more about Kabbalah, cause yeah. we have worlds to talk about, path to talk about.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on there. With there's Saturn. a ton going on. So the,
0: the path of the world or universe is, of course, that crucial path between Yesod and Malkut. And it's the last path in most systems, whether or not you use the... Or the first. Yeah, or the first, exactly, exactly, if you're starting here. You know, whether or not you're using the Kirsher tree, which we do, where Malkut is connected both to Yesod and to Hoden Netzach. Or if you look at the Luria tree, which is what is used in Jewish Kabbalism, you see the that Malkut is hanging, well, as they say, like the dingleberry, <laughs> off the tree connected to nothing else. And this is that crucial path, Yesod to Malkut, because we can spend our whole lives in Malkut and have no awareness whatsoever that mm-hmm. there's anything beyond it, because Malkut is enclosed. It is it is coterminous with the final world of Asia, the world of action. So, the way the four worlds work is that there's three sephirot in each one, atzilut uh, at the top, and then Briya and then Yetzira, And then when we get to Asia, it's almost like this is what you see is what you get. You know, it's this enclosed and almost hermetically sealed world where all our physical needs are provided for. It's where the shekhina, the female form of divinity, was exiled when separated from the divine source, so in Kabbalah, when you hear the phrase "restoring the world," Tikkun Olam, the idea is to reconnect out of Malkut up to the higher Sephirot again. And the first step of that is to step on this path between Yesod and Malkut, the step of the world. It's also the first step in any sort of right. The first connection to initiation. the astral levels exactly so when we talk about stepping into yesod or to yetzirah that is that idea that there is a magical background to reality and that by traveling the world's path you can start to access it
1: i think that's what uh, eliphaz levi was kind of referring to when he, when he's talking about the woman crushing the serpent's head i think he's talking about oh. that that control of the uh the astral you know that that standing in malkut but controlling stepping stepping on the, you know the head the mm-hmm. head of the serpent being down in malkut but rising up through with the body he says that's like a blind force that souls must overcome in order to you know achieve liberation from this world and um you know you set the your foot on the serpent's head and lead it with your will and um
0: Yes, yes, and
1: isn't there's the, something about Eve in that kind
0: absolutely. of it reminds me
1: of you know Eve and as the redeemer as well as causing the fall. Yes, you know? and
0: also it's a redemption of our like relationship with knowledge, Um the idea that we receive from Christianity that that knowledge is sinful and that it is the cause of all misery and suffering in the world. Then there's the opposite idea, which we see the Promethean or Hermetic idea that knowledge is is the light of your world. It's the thing that's going to save you. It's the thing that's going yep. to raise you beyond where you are. And isn't it true that in Hermetic Kabbalah, the um, path of the serpent is the one that that touches every path on the tree, right? Yeah. Because yep. path of the flaming sword is the lightning flash that touches all the sephirot. You know, all 10, but then Path of the Serpent touches all 22.
1: And shows this really twisty snake doing its thing to to contort to do that.
0: (laughs) And the first step is to step on its head.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and lead it where you will. And that's the snake that, you know, in the Thoth card that the woman is wrestling with. And even the Mm -hmm. colors of that snake remind me of what we've been talking about, the black and the yellow, you know, the the dark and the light, that polarity, you know, the God and God's dark side. if. You could call it that, I guess. Absolutely. The,
0: the part of the soul in Kabbalah that's associated with Asiya is the nefesh. You know, that term, the animal soul, I think it's, it's thought of. And when you think about the nefesh, it's almost like it's a, it's something that we have and that animals have. And in fact, the word animal comes from anima, right? So,
1: Oh, you know, that reminds me of something funny. When you look in 777 for the animals, for a Bina, woman, woman is the animal (laughs) of (laughs) Bina. Oh my God, (laughs) that's hilarious. (laughs) I I laughed too.
0: (laughs) That's so typical. (laughs) So yeah, so it is a, I think the nefesh you know i'm not an expert but the way i understand it is to be like animals have nefesh we have nefesh plants don't have nefesh so it's a kind of a living soul like you might call the psuche or psyche in um in greek it's 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 life force but it's also this sentience this kind of ability to act and move in the world and of course asia is known as the world of action or the active world so it reminds me of something that Gordon said on Rune Soup a few weeks ago, which I really just loved, uh, which is that, so humans are special, not because they have a soul or a spirit. Everything has a spirit, but because we have a body. <laughs> you know, yeah. The spirit gets to act on the world in ways that spirit doesn't generally. Sorry, I'm pouring my water. That's probably noisy. But, um, but that to me is what's special and strange and weird about Malkut, because it is, on the one hand, separate and exiled and far from the divine, but at the same time, it is the only way to restore the divine.
1: Right, it's the playground of the divine. Right, right. Where you get senses and you get to use them.
0: Yeah, it's true. The letter, Hebrew letter associated with the path of the world is Tav. And Tav is, of course, the final letter. And if you take the first letter of the alphabet, Aleph, and the middle letter, Mem, and you, and then you take Tav, you get Emet, which is truth, which is the word that would be inscribed on the forehead of a golem to give it life, right? And the way you kill a golem is to take the alpha off. So it just says Met, which means death. Mm, the breath idea. of life. Take away
1: the breath of life. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, exactly.
0: This is this idea that truth, what is truth but everything, the first, the middle, and the last, Everything encompassing everything. Whereas if you take sheker, uh, shin, kaf resh, the, the three next to last letters mean falsehood. That's the opposite. So there's something about being able to see all extremes that is, Part of the world and part of this letter as well.
1: Well, that's interesting because it reminds me that, you know, the, in the Golden Dawn system of attainment, one of the highest grades at Binai is the master of the temple. And and part of that attainment is being able to see the opposites inherent in all things and how everything's contradictory and to lose preference. Yeah, this
0: to sort of encompass everything rather than feeling like you have to discriminate
1: Yeah. In everything lies its opposite. Mm -hmm. And not only to be able to see that, but to not favor one or the other.
0: It's said that the great mistake of Adam was to believe that here in Malkut that this was all there was, not to have the imagination or the faith to see beyond the confines of this world. Power and servitude, the double attributes of Tav. So I've seen that I kind of looked into what those words are. The actual Hebrew words in Sefer Yetzirah are memshalah, which means government, and avdut, which means slavery. So it's not just. They both sound very Capricornian. Yeah, right. Right. It's this idea that, you know, some of us have agency and some of us do not. Yeah. You know, and, That's really interesting, because I think that the devil and the star kind of represent two opposite sides of that, you know, the star being the freedom to act as you wish, and the devil as being, you know, um, bound to something or someone. Matter, yeah, bound to matter. Yeah, bound to matter. So, you know, this, in some sense, really speaks to kind of fundamental questions about fate and free will and how we, you know, how we broker them. A friend of mine was just posting this morning about, you know, the different forms of fate in Vedic astrology, the idea that some things you're born into, some things are circumstantial, some things you determine by your own merit. And I think that If people are struggling existentially with power over their own lives, a good way to sort of conceptualize that is the devil versus the star, both as sort of agents of Saturn. So that they, they're not just opposites. They do have something in common. It's sort of like, it's like one's
1: about time as a restriction and then one is more timeless, like Mm -hmm. being beyond time,
0: making your own rules versus following others, perhaps. Another thing I was thinking about, those two, is it's sort of man versus beast. <laughs> yeah, right. I you know, it's that. sort of like there's the nefesh and the devil. <laughs> but but the, the Aquarius archetype, of course, has always been associated with the human form. There's something about what makes us specifically human is our ability to see beyond our immediate confines.
1: We should talk a little bit about boy. There's a couple things. So the mm-hmm. connection between Binah and Malkut. Oh yeah. Binah and Daat. Um, Saturn's kind of both masculine and feminine qualities. There's mm-hmm. you know there's a few th- more things in the Kabbalah area that apply. For sure,
0: for sure. So Binah, of course, is the sphere of Saturn. It's the only one, as you said, above the abyss.
1: Um, you know, you know what I read that uh, is interesting to me anyway. In the Book of Thoth, Crowley mentions somewhere that the Abyss is Herschel, and that's the old name for Uranus. So really? I thought, yeah, I thought that was interesting, um, because of this Capricorn and Aquarius thing, you know, so Bina, Saturn, Capricorn, and then Uranus, the ruler, of, uh, modern ruler of Aquarius being. Mm-hmm the abyss there's a section where he goes through all the sephira and assigns he assigns uh herschel which is uranus to the abyss isn't that herschel was the um that was the guy that the astronomer who discovered it and at first it was named after him but Hmm. the name got changed at some point so when you see when you have really old astrology books the if you see herschel they're talking about Uranus.
0: I was just thinking about one thing we f- we didn't mention is that uh, in that sort of chart of planetary colors that we had, although Mars was red, red, red pretty much all the way through, Saturn was pretty consistent black, as black, well black. as black. Yeah, yep. yeah, and that's fascinating to me the blackness of Saturn because, well, yes, we have black assigned to Bina, you know, in that sort of polarity of Keter white, Hokma gray, and and Bina black. But also because in all work with Saturn, from the earliest magical um, rituals that you do for Saturn, it's always black, 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 wear black, wear black shoes, work with crows, yeah, use black plants. It's not plants. black,
1: it's something equally, you know, dour. There's gr- yeah. grays and dark browns and dark blues and dark greens, but it's mostly black, yeah.
0: Yeah, and when I think of black, you know, I think of... I think of space. I think of the, you know, the sky beyond beyond. I think our of atmosphere. the depths,
1: whether it's mm-hmm. the depths of water or the depths of space. You know, the waters of space mm-hmm. or the, the waters of the ocean. But either way, the deeper you go, the darker it gets. But then if you look at Binaz colors, I mean, black is the color in the queen scale. Mm-hmm. But then in the king scale, it's crimson. Right. Crimson red of blood. And then in the prince scale, you get like what would happen if you mixed crimson Mm -hmm. and black you get this like kind of dark reddish brown and then in the uh princess scale it's gray flecked pink which i think curly says something about it being binah impregnated with Mm -hmm. uh this the essence of the sun the pink being a color of tiferet the sun
0: yeah for sure it makes you really think of um saturn as the womb of the world you know the place where life is born
1: Mm -hmm. all four of those colors In the four scales. Somewhere I heard Bina uh, mentioned as being the Ark of Isis, which was just a euphemism for the womb. (laughs) That makes sense.
0: Yeah. So Bina, we often talk about her as the great mother. So Saturn
1: has this, as you were saying, both feminine. Masculine and feminine. Yes. At the same time. You know, we've got Kronos and and Kronos. Mm Mm-hmm. Very masculine kind of forces. And then we've got, um, you know, all these mother figures mm-hmm. and mother and daughter figures, both. And if you look at the, what the magical images are, so there's the ancient one, which makes you think of Kronos as time, you know, an old, it's an old man, um, mm-hmm. usually. And then there's the celestial queen, which makes mm-hmm. you think of the maiden and Isis and, and Binar and all these, you know, queens of heaven. Archetypes, right?
0: And it's also as a mother figure, as a maternal figure, Saturn is both nurturing and destroying, right? Or yeah, we, we should talk a little b- bit
1: about that—the the, the mm-hmm. ama and the ama, or the Kali and the Dorga. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm always fascinated by by that. Uh, you know, this—I yeah. was reading something about so how ama. If you just look at the letters, it's mem.
0: The mm-hmm. waters of
1: Mem, you know, the waters of the womb, the waters of creation in between two Alephs,
0: mm-hmm. two
1: beginnings, two breaths, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, but it's not until it's Ama where the Yod is added that it's mm-hmm. fertilized. So mm-hmm. Ama is the, what they call the dark, sterile mother, where Ama is the bright, fertile mother. But both of them are mothers and in the sense that they both have a role of nurturing. So even the dark mother, that's the, the thing that binds the force of Hokma and, and gives it that what they, you know, how you hear all the time, the will to form. Cause there's no right. actual form in Bina, but there's the archetype of form, the idea of form or the, the desire to form. That's, and nice. it's, it's the ama. That's that restricting force that is necessary to build something. It, it's like. It's like in order to be born, there has to be this travail and this labor and this training mm-hmm. of the pure force. That's right. We, to make it 3D. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And then of course, you know, it's interesting to think about the idea that the queens are located in Bina, but the princesses or pages are located in Malkut. So there's a special relationship between Malkut and Bina.
1: Right, and, through, and Saturn and Earth both being mm-hmm. assigned to the Universe card, right. I guess because they're both so similar—being, you know, cold and dry and cold heavy. And
0: dry. <laughs> right, and maybe what we should do is, do you sh- do you think we should talk about threes and tens now, since we're yeah, why on? not Malkut and Bina? Yeah, yeah. so um, so all threes are connected with Bina, and all tens with Malkut. They so the threes are virtue, abundance, sorrow, and worth. In the four suits. And I guess what we see there is that first kind of realization, the giving of form to the suit. We talked about how in the Three of Wands, you have gone through this sort of conquest of the Two of Wands and now you have to actually govern. (laughs) Right. You know? The three of cups, you know, in the two of cups, there was this sort of emotional rapprochement or sort of like approaching of one another and recognizing the other. But the third is where that sort of abundance of good feelings begins to flow and become its own thing. And then, of course, the, the, the three of swords is the most interesting of all, really, because even though it's sorrow, the salty tears of Binah, you know, I think in historically, it's always meant something quite different, which is love and marriage. And that's because it's sort of like when you take these two separate elements and put them together, you have a third thing. So there's, it's present any time that you take two entities and then create a third thing, whether that's a relationship or a contract or uh, something else that has an intellectual structure to it and a force behind it. And then, of course, you have the um, the um Three of Disks, which is that after you set the world in motion with the Lord of Change and the Two of Disks, you actually produce things. You start to make things, concrete, tangible, cooperative products.
1: It's really interesting. So all the threes, you know, except for the Three of Swords, their decans aren't planetary, rulers aren't Saturn, mm-hmm. but um, the Three of Swords it is. But the yeah. others, they have their connection through Binah. But there's still this idea of discipline inherent in all the threes from that Binah, you know, wisdom through discipline kind of thing. Because it's all, they all, they're all almost like the, have a precept quality to them. So in, in the three of wands, virtue, you have this idea of right actions and good governance and upstandingness through your actions. And then in the three of cups, there's, A kind of right enjoyment of the world and that's the enjoyment without clinging that that being present for the joy without holding too tightly to it and then in the three of swords sorrow there's that right knowledge and right connections so that the the connections with others and the connections with yourself and knowing yourself holding that the right way and how you learn from your sorrows the lessons Mm -hmm. and then in the three of discs work. Those are the right creations, the things you build, you know, the things you manifest. So in all cases, there's a sense of, of rightness as a tool of building and restriction as a tool of rightness. You yeah. know what I mean?
0: I do know what you mean. And that perhaps is a quality of it being above the abyss. There's a proportionality and a promise to it. Um, you know, uh, this is the potential and this is where you can create positive outcomes in reality
1: yeah, and it struck me when I was thinking about, so what's the magical number of be not? Well, the number is three, but the magical number of three is is six. one plus two plus three is six, right. so then it brings it back to your center.:
0: Yes, yes, and to the sun rather than the daughter. Right, so the, you the. know, the mother is the parent of both.:
1: <laughs> Right. The connection to the sun, but also the sun as the internal light, the source. Yes. that tells you what is right.
0: Sun and son.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And then the tens are interesting because in in Malkut it is the the fruit on the tree. It is the 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 overripe, <laughs> due to explode, you know, highly pregnant, ready to birth the next thing moment at the bottom of the tree. And so, whereas we actually consider the, the end nines, in the beginning, right? Yeah, the nines are the power, sort of the moment of most expressive potency of the seed, but the tens. The tens are where it ends and begins again. So, you know, if you think about that ten of wands as, you know, what happens when, you know, when you drive yourself past the breaking point, your ambitions. And that's interesting because that's also a Saturn Saturn card as well. Yeah, that's a double, sort of, double Saturn, just like double the three Saturn. of swords. So it's sort of like pushing past the breaking point is how I think of this as... That thing that when you're so ambitious that, that you push past your own limits and, <laughs> and create a tyranny over others as well as yourself. And then with the Ten of Cups, <laughs> we've talked about this card as going beyond, you know, that martial oversatiation of having sort of glutted and gorged yourself on the pleasures of the flesh. <laughs> And uh needing to rest before moving on to the next thing. Then Ten of Swords, of course, is like when you've thought yourself into a corner, there is no place to go from there. Things having divided back into black and white, which is interesting because, you know, black and white are take you kind of back to the top of the tree. And then finally, the 10 of discs as well. It's sort of like, well, okay, this is Saturn as the harvest in the 10. Sort of like, well, once you have collected everything, it is no longer alive. All it can do is feed the next generation.
1: Yeah, it seems like every one of the 10s, there's a kind of a theme of too much of something in the wands, is you're carrying too much. You're trying to create too much, do too much. In, in the cups, you're trying to enjoy too much. In the mm-hmm. swords, you're trying to think too much. And in, in the discs, you have so much that you need to divest yourself of some of it.
0: Absolutely. And it makes me think about, like, if you look at the way... A fruit tree produces, for example, it has to have too much in order to make enough, right? Yeah. It's sort of like there's the phenomenon of when, when it first flowers, there's a ton of flowers and then the flowers drop and those that remain turn into, f- to small fruits. And then there's the phenomenon of June drop, which is in this hemisphere where all the little fruits that won't survive are drop to the ground. And then, you know, and then the gradual ripening and producing, et cetera. But it's a constant sort of nature ensuring survival by overproducing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's then, of the course, fertility of the 10, and, and some uh, of it has to die. That,
0: <laughs> that reminds me of, so two years ago, our peach tree had a really fantastic year, and those poor branches were, you know, just bent down to the ground with fruit, yeah. and it's the fertility and the burdens of Saturn all in one place. Maybe we can talk a little bit, go back to the um, the stories of the, of the two, three, and four discs for Capricorn and the five, six, seven of swords for Aquarius, cause we kind of didn't cover those at the time. Mm. We talked a little bit just now about what happens in the two, three, and four of discs. Kind of in the larger story of Earth, there's the Capricornian. It's all about the engaging the material world and then the Taurus cards as uh, bridging and reproduction, and then the Virgo cards as kind of the legacies that you leave behind. But specifically, I think the two, three, and four of discs, you know, show that how we start to work this machine that is the body or work the machine of the material world in ways that are advantageous to us. You know, I guess because they're high up, they tend to be fairly expressed in ways that are more positive than you would expect, given the connection with the devil.
1: <laughs> yeah. But,
0: you know, that's sort of... Yeah, like- you
1: can't... None of the twos, threes, and fours are all that bad in re- re- reality, Yeah yeah
0: so i think when people are you know feeling nervous about the devil look to the two three and four of discs because you see a story of first of all in the two usefulness yeah usefulness of 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 having an enterprising exploratory spirit in the two of you know the spirit of change of of trying to do things um and in the out of the darkness trying to create something new because that's the time of year it's associated with and then in the three actually the sort of engines of industry starting to work with other people to build things. And then in the four you're you're amassing the profit. <laughs> yeah. You're starting to save. Uh, you're starting to see the success from it.
1: And it's interesting too to see how Saturn, so these cards are all associated with Saturn through mm-hmm. the sign of Capricorn, but each one of these cards has its own Deccan planetary ruler. So it's interesting to see how these other planets combine with Saturn. So you know in the 2 you've got Jupiter and Saturn combined mm-hmm. and we've talked about how you know they're in a sense they have some opposite functions, you mm-hmm. know, Saturn restricting and Jupiter expanding and we see how useful that is in in the 2. That's how, right and how even how though Jupiter's together. in detriment
0: that tension is very productive.
1: Yeah. And then in the three, Mars, which is exalted in the sign of Capricorn, it's really put to good use. That martial drive is really put to, to use to build something, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it takes that kind of force to, to channel form. And then, uh, in the four, you've got again a, a sense of opposites because you've got the sun ruling that one in a, in a Saturnine sign. And, mm-hmm. and you see how it can be productive, even though there's that slight negative tinge to avarice you know that you see there yeah
0: yeah there's a real mundane power in the four which i i attribute to the sort of kingly qualities of both sun and capricorn you know and also it's a four
1: jupiter Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. if you so they're all very kingly yes right the sort of
0: amassing of power in one place making it stable the Lord of
1: Power. And then the
0: uh, 5, 6, and 7 of Swords as cards of Aquarius, that's kind of the, the part of the the middle part of the journey of air, the fool's journey, where he kind of in the cards of Libra arrives at a crossroad, uh, in the cards of Aquarius has to navigate, and then in the cards of Gemini has to make a kind of commit to a choice. But these are strong cards. And like every sequence of five, six, and seven, the the, the perfect balance point is the six. The Lord of Science, where things actually work. The Five is so interesting as Lord of Defeat. I I always associate it with the ideas of risk and scarcity, the um the exile side of Saturn. You know, the, yeah, um, the
1: Aquarians. Yeah, and of there's some th- something about the coldness in there. Um, the the willingness to win at any cost. You yeah, know, even if it alienates the one that's you. on the receiving end of that
0: it's sort of like you know whatever happens i'm 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 going to uh prevail and then you see that <laughs> in the 6 it's it's interesting that there is that quality of navigation where you set out for new lands Maybe because you were such an asshole in the five that nobody can abide you.
1: (laughs) But, but, you know, you were treated like such an asshole by someone who was one that you had to get the hell out of there. That's right. That's right. There's a
0: persecution or, um, and a need to find yourself and to problem solve in some new place, which is, which is the great gift of the six, I think. And then in the seven, you have, it's, it's a different form of problem solving. I think of it as a, um, survival through resourcefulness, kind of like we see in that five, six, seven of one sequence, where once you've become king, you have to defend it. Once you've arrived in the new place, you have to survive.
1: Even though you're the stranger in the strange land. Yeah,
0: that's right. That's right. It's uh, your job to look out for number one. (laughs) That's That's such an interesting story of the star because the star we think of as being this card of hope and idealism but there there also has to be quite a bit of of mental discipline in order to achieve that and we see that in the five six and seven of swords
1: should we look at decanic minors now one thing we forgot to mention when we were doing the Kabbalah, mm-hmm. we didn't mention the virtues and the vices. Of, oh yeah, uh, right. Of and Binah. weapons
0: and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so
1: yeah, so the uh, so of the supernals, Binah is the only one that has a vice, mm-hmm. which at first seems kind of you know what, what what's up with that? Is that, <laughs> you know, is that the paternity thing going on? Yeah, but. But, you know, it's explained as once there's the even the will to form, that with form comes these things. And it, mm-hmm. even though there's no actual form there, the archetype and the idea and will to form is there. So it comes along with it and the vice is avarice. Of course, yeah. And, well, the virtue is silence. Mm. Um, which is really cool for the, you know, association with the universe card and, and Saturn and, you know, the po- four powers of the Sphinx, the power to be silent.
0: Yeah. It is a real discipline. And it kind of makes sense because, you know, avarice, I mean, it makes sense that there's a vice at the top of the pillar of severity. I guess it's our first experience of restriction. You know, avarice is mine, but not yours. And mm. I think that it's important to remember that the pillar of severity, although it can be subjectively difficult, it's a necessary corrective. And yeah, it's yeah. meant to
1: help you. <laughs> right, right, right,
0: right. And, you know, and the idea that vice originates on the pillar of severity, I guess, is kind of a human thing in the sense that we don't do well, <laughs> we experience restriction right. as subjectively difficult, and then yep. we respond badly to it. So that makes sense. Avarice is essentially a, a, a response to restriction. It's sort of like, if you're going to say, I, there's only so much of this resource, I'm going to make I sure. Then I more, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, do you have weapons there? Because I don't.
1: Well, the implements for Binar, the cup and the triangle and the the yoni as a symbol or... Implement. I don't know if that you'd call it a weapon, although I suppose you could.
0: <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could. Yeah. Oh, you know what's interesting is that when you were saying the virtuous silence, that reminds me that the Olympian spirit of Saturn is. Uh, I've seen it a couple different ways. Arathor, and then I can't read the other thing I wrote down. <laughs> the powers of that Olympic spirit are supposed to be magic, alchemy, invisibility. Right. So there's Ooh. that sort of self erasure kind of quality in the same way silence. One of the powers is to transform plants into stones and stones into treasures. So you take the crushing force of Saturn and turn it, you know, turn it into gemstones or turn it into petroleum or turn it into whatever. And, uh, and it's, it makes you realize that the magical spirit of
1: Saturn is in part a spirit of time. If you look at the, the magical powers, Mm -hmm. so Binaz is the vision of sorrow, which is really interesting considering the three of swords Mm -hmm. and the idea that, you know, sorrow as this necessary kind of vital emotion for your evolution, because it's not until you feel something that deeply that you learn a lesson sometimes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You have to realize it in the
1: universe. This is what I, you reminded me of for the universe, the, the powers were, they were really interesting. So, you know, works of malediction and death, (laughs) alchemy, uh, geomancy and the making of pentacles.
0: That makes sense. Geomancy, of course. Yeah, of course, the magic of earth. Yeah. And the making of pentacles. Yeah. Saturn is also strongly connected with, um, with magical lineages. That's something that I've kind of forgotten to mention, that you yeah. know, in addition to being a fertility god,
1: Saturn is deeply magical. It's really necessary for magic,
0: mm-hmm. Saturn. Also connected to ancestor traditions for those who locate
1: their magic
0: in the family line. Basically, anytime you're dealing with your elders or the dead.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that reminds me too, this idea of Malkut as the gate of death. As, as well as, you know, a life where life begins. It's also the gate of death is one of its titles. And the vice of Malkut is also avarice, but added to it is inertia. Mm-hmm. So it's avarice with this kind of let-in force added to on top of it. Right.
0: It's like if the uh, sleeping pregnant princess never woke up.
1: <laughs> right. But the virtue, of course, is... Uh, the the antidote to that, which is discrimination. That's the waking up.
0: Or separation, right? So that's like the giving birth.
1: Yeah. So more to oh, add. where do we go from here?
0: The rest of the decan- Decanic decan- miners? Decanic miners, yeah. So the first of them in the zodiacal year is, of course, the Saturn in Taurus, the Seven of Pentacles, our favorite Lord of Failure, <laughs> mm-hmm. as yet. <laughs> I think that this is the most agricultural Saturn card that we have in the sequence, in the sense, yeah, that, definitely, yeah, you got to look back and see what you did and persist through the hardships of farming or gardening.
1: <laughs> yeah, very um, appropriate for Taurus, but more yeah. than just being, you know, the mundane farming, gardening. It's all about Taurus is all about resources in general, and
0: yes, using you know, using you your got.
1: resources wisely, and what happens when you don't.
0: Right. And it also makes me think of Saturn in Netzach as a seven. You know, Netzach is victory, but it's the victory of endurance or persistence. It's like the stamina to continue even when things are hard. You kind of turn to your resources and
1: figure out what you're going to do. Even after the fall, you got to keep going. Yeah, I
0: think there's a real quality of honest self-evaluation in this card you know, of saying, well, this didn't work, but this is how I'm going to deal with it. The uh decanic <laughs> meanings for this are nakedness, poverty, misery, fear.
1: <laughs> yeah, so fun. So fun. <laughs> all the Saturn cards, though, you know, there's every one of them is unpleasant, but they're all, you know, they're all testings. And yeah. it's through these testings that you grow and evolve. And I think
0: that's especially true in the next card, in the Lord of Strife, actually. Yeah, right. You know, strife right. is striving. And this is something I never really considered before. Saturn is in detriment here. It's it's one of the more uncomfortable cards, I guess you might say, of Saturn. I mean, none of them are particularly comfortable, but but it has that added heat and pressure. Uh, volcanic force and I've been thinking a lot about that sort of combination of Saturn and Gaborra, Um, you know Gaborah as as the sphere of Mars there's immense pressure in this card we've talked about that but it's also in the service of like figuring out which one is the best right because yeah it's How that internal. You...
1: Without internal pressure, nothing would ever get done. That's
0: right. It's like there's there's no striving without strife. I often think of this as being kind of a hothouse environment, sort of like where you force your um, plants to grow extra big and strong, but then you're going to thin them out afterwards. They're competing. with yeah. survival of see, the fittest. Which is
1: the best? Every time
0: I see the Rider Waite Smith version of this card, I think of the the, the, the siblings of Zeus, like kicking around (laughs) inside Kronos. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And how uncomfortable that must have been. Although, you know, we always think of the myth of Kronos of him like swallowing them whole. I tried to find some illustrations of that. And oh man, the the Victorian painters and the pre-Raphaelites, they were all like obsessed with showing cut up babies. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it was really sick. But we know that the story has a happy ending one way or another. Then we have... Saturn in its exaltation, or the sign of its exaltation, its actual degree is 21, uh, Libra. So that's Saturn. Hey, not in- to
1: interrupt you, Libra. but when yeah. you said swallowing them whole, I just got this image <laughs> of like, you know, how a serpent unlocks its jaws and, like,
0: <laughs> yeah, the unhinging them. of the
1: jaw. <laughs> yeah. Cronos says the great serpent
0: eating oh, them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're terrifying pictures, they really are. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Lord of Sorrow, the Saturn in Bina, and um,
1: that's this is a really interesting card of them all because so of Saturn's is, exaltation here. Yeah,
0: I think that
1: this card is
0: so important for commitments and promises of all kinds. Of course, when the commitment or promise is broken, that's the that's where the tears fall from Bina. It's interesting the decanic significations were quietude, rejoicing, abundance, and a good life, which. Most modern tarot readers would be very surprised to hear go with this card. But at the same time, it's kind of like what we were saying before about how, you know, you take two entities and then put them together, and that's a third thing. That's the nature of the Three of Swords, um, the stability and power of the third thing. Any that you're working pacts or contracts, it's a kind of a good card to keep in mind if you can get past the
1: uh, past the surface, the card. I guess I could see that when you do make a pact or a binding or a choice, you are sacrificing other things and, yeah. and the knowledge that there are now things that will never be. It's exclusive.
0: It's got decanic dignity, it's got exaltation, and it's got Kabbalistic dignity because this is Saturn and Bina. So whenever things have dignity, That is just a way of saying we experience them as subjectively better or positive or easier to deal with as humans. So the realizations of, you know, what you have to leave behind or or commit to leaving out of your life are the price you pay to gain something that matters and has weight to you. Yep. And then we have another Another card with, yep, another Kabbalistic dignity in the form of the 10 of... The Ten of Wands, Saturn in Malkut, or the Lord of Oppression. Yeah, we talked about this a bit before. I mean, the idea of what happens when you drive yourself too far, I think. I think in 36 Faces, Austin says something about whipping the horse, you know, (laughs) past the point where it can thrive. I think that this one is interesting in terms of its decanic significations. Uh, I think it says inimical evil effects, enmity dispersion and poor conduct. So that kind of speaks to the tyrannical nature of the card. Mm. I think that you can apply to it in a sense for self-discipline, because you know, having come from the Lord of Strength in the nine, the 10 is sort of like, well, I'm just going to push myself till I break, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, it's discovering your tolerance. Where is the tipping point? How much can you hold? It's like
0: finding the strength you didn't have inside you by pushing past your limits and realizing, well, that was too far.
1: <laughs> but you know, Saturn is all about discipline and hard work, mm-hmm. and it does reward those who pick up burdens and take them willingly. That is true. That
0: is true. And you know what's interesting? This is, this is that interesting Saturn Jupiter combination. It's just, In a sense, it's like you see in the two of disks, you know, you can see the difference between Jupiter and Saturn ruled sign versus Saturn and Jupiter ruled sign here.
1: And also the difference between being high and low on the tree. Exactly, exactly. It's
0: so much heavier down here. Yep. Although it's, you know, what's interesting. Yeah. And it's funny because you've got disks at the top of the tree in the two of pentacles, right? And And then wands wands at the bottom, which is kind of the opposite. And you can kind of see just how influential the number is the Sephira is in uh, determining the character of the card. Yeah,
1: it's an interesting relationship between those two cards. And I guess it it just popped into my head that, you know, change is eternal, but it can get exhausting, right?
0: Exactly. And not to mention that they follow one another in sequence in the year, right? So so there's that, the Ten of Wands is the absolute diminution of the light to zero here. Well, not to zero, but to, you know, its darkest point. And then the, the two of disks is the rebirth of it. Yep. On the upswing. So they kind of bracket that moment. Very interesting. Haven't thought about that before. So it's like Jupiter and Saturn kind of change places and the, yeah. and, the and the tree, uh, the two and the ten change places too. And then finally we have, uh, Saturn in the first decade of Pisces, the eight of cups, the, Lord of Indolence.
1: Or Abandoned Success. (laughs) Yes, or Abandoned Success.
0: You know, if you think of Saturn as the wall or sort of the system in which we live, this is like leaving the system. (laughs) This is, you know, in Hode, this sort of uh, saying, well, enough is enough and being willing to go outside of it or to give it up.
1: There's a challenge in this card between whether to stay focused, whether, whether abandoning the success is a skillful thing to do or not, whether you should like stay focused and not go that way, or whether the letting go is maybe the thing that is the lesson.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I was so surprised when I looked up the Decanic significations because they seemed so apt. Long journeys, uh, humility, peace, misery, taking pity, searching for riches. So... It reminds me of sort of like the, um, the misfortune that causes the youngest son to go on his journey of self-discovery and ultimately triumph. <laughs> you know, that's sort of like, well, there's no room for me here. I, ha- I need to go discover my own damn self. I think magically that this card is excellent for kind of negotiating those boundary states or ending states, transitional states. Um, yeah, figuring out where you have to go next, um, or at least giving you the strength to get out of a bad situation.
1: Do you know anything about the archangel? The only thing I, the only thing I have on that one is that that I thought was interesting is, uh, it's the keeper of the records of evolution, which I thought was so Saturn, right? Yeah. The Saturn's it is. the keeper of records too. Yeah, evolution yeah, yeah. through time.
0: Yeah, I had, I had a different angel written down named Anzil or Ashbil. Uh, I don't even know who that is. I, I haven't uh, been able to look it up. I had it written down from, um, the magician's companion. Yeah, Zap- T-Z-A-P-H-K-I-E-L. T-Z-A-P-H-K-I-E-L. Okay. Oh, wait. Sorry. T Z A P H. Yeah, K I E L. Okay, right. Oh, that's interesting. I'm I'm just reading the first Google thing that came up and huh. <laughs> it said it's the angel of deep contemplation, which makes sense and oh, that makes the sense divine too. feminine yeah. in respect to nature and creation. So
1: Well yeah, um, again, all in within the themes.
0: Exactly. It says Tafkel's Tsafkil's name means knowledge of God. So that kind mm. of harkens back to some of the discussions of you know that we were having earlier. Gosh, it's hilarious when you enter this stuff into Google, because just like these wacky, like mix of Thelemic and ceremonial magic and New Age stuff comes up.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you just, never know what you get. Some you just cannot know what's going to happen.
0: Tzafkiel is the prince of spiritual strife against evil. Oh, interesting. That's interesting. And here's one that says Archangel Saphiel and the v- and the violet ray of purification. Sounds like the Harry Potter version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry I didn't do my homework before, but
1: what <laughs> I really am getting ah, to the There's out just of this. so much here. We can't actually so do it all in an hour.
0: So, um, are we up to correspondences? Yeah. Okay. Why not? All right. So, um, oh yeah. Wow. So everything toxic, heavy, and dark.
1: <laughs> yeah. Lead.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lead. Lodestone. So magnets, which is interesting because they draw to, you know, draw to you. Um, and that reminds me actually of that. Line in the Orphic hymn, the unbreakable bonds line, you know, desmus mm. arectus, josejes, cosmon. So it's not just that it's heavy and it responds to the weight of gravity or the pull of gravity. It's that it attracts other things through its own gravity. Mm. So you have lead, onyx, jet, hematite, um, yeah, but also, all the
1: black things.
0: Yeah. And things. also blue things to some extent. Hematite's
1: really interesting because it's that. Outside, it looks that dark grayish, silvery, mm-hmm. but really dark silver. You know, like mm-hmm. almost charcoal gray, but but looks looking like silver. But mm-hmm. if you grind it up, it's it's red. So yeah. it's like the colors of bina.
0: That's so interesting. I you know I was really curious about that because I I, I was looking up hematite for some reason and I saw all this red sort of imagery coming up and I thought, how does that work? So that explains it. That's why it's called hematite, of course, for blood.
1: For blood, yes.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And you know, it's really fascinating stone. It looks like a mirror, but it, yet yeah, you grind yeah. it up and you get blood. So weird, spooky. It's very spooky.
0: Uh, another really interesting one is that you know Saturn's also associated with gold in in the older traditions. So if you look ah, at some of the wealth. magical workings, yeah, it's golden Marcusite, It's gold. It's the it's the value and the weight of it. I think What's
1: the, that that uh, that Grateful Dead songs line. I don't know, but I've been told it's hard to run with the with weight, the of, weight gold. of gold. I don't yeah, know, that's it. heard it said it's just as hard with the weight of lead. <laughs> it's perfect. That's perfect for <laughs> <Yeah>. Saturn.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, the animals. Oh, they have a list of adjectives that describe Saturnine animals. They're creeping, living apart, solitary, nightly, sad, contemplative, dull, fearful, melancholy, slow, and they eat their own young. Kronos. <laughs> <That's- laughs> ah! <laughs> Cronos, exactly. So so you have, like, toads and snakes and, you know, nocturnal vermin. Vermin, too. Yep. Uh, birds with long necks and harsh voices.
1: <laughs> yeah, ravens and crows.
0: Yeah, yeah, ravens and crows for sure.
1: For the sure. plants are all things that are, like, kind of bitter or slightly poisonous. or Yes. <laughs> hem- hemlock, nightshade, rue, bitter herbs, senna, comfrey, yeah. hemp, holly, spinach. Hemlock. Make you Mm -hmm. strong. Uh, (laughs) Mandrake, cypress, elms, willows, myrrh, all the scents, myrrh and civet. Oh, myrrh, for sure. Asafetida. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Stinky things. Sulfur. All dark
0: or unpleasant odors, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And benzoin, too. I don't know why benzoin. Benzoin seems to be in a lot of things. Narcotic drugs put you to sleep. Yeah, yeah, belladonna.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. All of those things. The um, Agrippa says that uh, Saturnine things are like black color things that are sour, tart, or dead. <laughs> all dark, weighty, earthy things.
1: You and know, do, it's hard to find a good smell for Saturn, but I like to use pine. That's a good one. Oh, that's nice. I always thought that was Marshall, but maybe you know they are all kind There's a lot. Of I don't life. know. I think of pine and. Mm-hmm. kind of being kind of saturnine as well as myrrh. That's another good one. It myrrh doesn't smell sure. too bad. Yeah. This, I actually quite like, um,
0: Apoponics, which is kind of sweet myrrh. Mm. I don't know if it's still saturnine, if it's sweet, but, uh, but I like the smell of it. A nightshade is a wolf Spain patchouli. This one's
1: oh, patchouli. Yeah.
0: Here's a suffumigation y'all can make. All you need are mandrake fruits, dried olives, Black mirobalan, which is this like uh, tree from India, Uh, dried black chickpeas, and of course, black crow's brains, and then you'll be all set. (laughs) I think this is Picatrix. So if you want to deal with Saturn, there are certain conditions that you want him to meet of course you want to be in his dignity which we actually are for right now and for much of um much of this period we're in but it said that you can ask saturn for any petitions concerning the elderly so like if you're have an elderly uh parent that you have to take care of uh, generous men kings of cities hermits those who work the land and things about inheritances grandfathers Mm -hmm. and great grandfathers makes sense as well as illness as well which is not surprising since saturn is not particularly supportive of health it says that if you can get him in the right condition so positioned favorably saturn is like a well-meaning individual with a courageous heart and a great will who can hardly deny whatever is sought which is interesting you know because he's like a great king um you want to dress in black, and here's a detail I loved: with a black cape tailored in the manner of a professor. <laughs> <Ha>. <laughs> and you want to go to a remote place to do your Saturn workings. You can ask him for um, longevity. We've talked about that. Um, yeah, more time. Yeah, increase of power, which kind of makes sense. Dealing with kidney stones, which is... I think interesting, given that the kidneys are sort of like the filters of the body.
1: And, and fil- uh, Libra rules the kidneys, oh, I yeah, believe. That's so, right. And he's exalted. Right. Right. Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
0: There's a thing you can do, a very specific thing you can do with Saturn and Mercury, which is not a combination you would expect, but they both have these ties to prophecy and divination. So if you want to, do a a Mercury thing, the only conditions you have to have are it needs to be a Wednesday at Saturn hour. Um, Saturn needs to be conjunct Mercury and Aquarius in the ninth house. (laughs) Saturn should be trine, the ascendant. The moon should also be, you know, aspecting favorably. And uh, and the sun should be aspecting that Saturn-Mercury conjunction. And Mars should be Combust also. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Good luck. And then you cast something in metal, which will then help you foretell things to come. Very, very stringent requirements, which is kind of typical for Saturn. But uh, kind of nice to know you can do it if you should be so inclined.
1: (laughs) Uh, Speaking of the body, Mm -hmm. we forgot to mention the body parts of Saturn are all the things that have to do with, you know, structure like bones and joints and teeth and skin you know? Yeah, and
0: hair, too, knee, isn't it? Knees.
1: Also? I suppose. Just because it's made of the same video, thing. Though, as, you know, I don't you know. Don't know. Yeah. But bones
0: and skin and teeth absolutely make sense. It's sort of like you got to have yeah. something to hold it in from the outside and, and, and something joints, to support it you know, from the
1: inside. Yeah. The, the things that ache in old age, knees and yeah. elbows and hearing, the thing that tends to go in old age. Exactly.
0: This past Saturn and Capricorn period has been... Definitely hard for the Capricorn men in my family. My dad passed away in in Capricorn period in January. And then my father-in-law, who is also Capricorn, had this incredibly traumatic knee surgery, as you might expect, given the Saturn knee connection. But, you yeah. know, yeah,
1: all those joints. Yeah, 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 well, Saturn rules the age of life from 68 until death. So... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there's going to be some joint pain there, I imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah, it'd, it would be interesting to see if, like, I don't know that many magicians in that age group. I'd love to know if their sort of experiences working with Saturn have provided relief from some of those infirmities. It's a good question. Yeah, you'd think. All right. Did we make it through? <laughs> I think we we did. All right. So some of the Saturn themes we've talked about have been, I don't know, um, death. Endings, restriction,
1: (laughs) time. Time, yeah. And evolution through time, Mm -hmm. you know, the trials and testings of Saturn, the purpose of them are to help you gain wisdom and experience.
0: Yeah, all the things that test you and kind of um, develop your character, I think is the euphemism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Isolation.
1: Spiritual. Spiritual. Spiritual growth is best attained by getting to grips with worldly life. Yeah. That seems like a Saturn thing.
0: It does. Both Both the sort of like immersion in worldly life to try and find ways of dealing with, but also the removal from worldly life, like, you know, the way hermits do Capricorn and Aquarius sides of Saturn. Yep. Safety, imprisonment, um, fertility as well. Silence. Invisibility. <laughs> uh, magic and ancestors.
1: Boy, we talked about so much I don't even know, well, where I to, know where to begin. I know.
0: I think it's good. I think it's good. I don't think Saturn will diss us for ending in silence. <laughs> All right, so this has been the episode of Saturn God of Endings, and we ourselves have come to an ending of our planetary sequence. We are now so far out at the reaches of the solar system or of the known visible solar system of our uh, ancestors that we are now returning back home to Earth. Coming up, we will be doing a readings episode applying the esoterics, to our reading process. And there will be a call for questions on Patreon and on Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy on Facebook. So if you'd like to be a part of that, we will open it up to patrons. Yeah, yeah, we'll get
1: enough there, I think, yeah, I would think. Yeah. yeah, we'll open it
0: up to patrons, and we'll do our best to answer your question. So, And then who knows where we'll go from there? <laughs> we'll see. All right, so everybody take care of yourselves, and we will see you next time. And that's our show for today. You can find us at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you'll also find new episode announcements and loads of extra articles and visuals, which will help you follow along with the show. If you appreciate what Mel and I have done here at Fortune's Wheelhouse, please consider leaving us a five-star reviewer rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Or Google Play. And if you'd like to support the making of this podcast and gain access to all the member perks that come with that, please consider becoming a patron at any level you like by visiting www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. You can also explore fortunes wheelhouse gear like t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, and more by checking out our red bubble shop. That's it www.redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse93 slash shop. Mel's beautiful books, decks, and prints can be found at tarotcart.com and my book, Tarot Cases, Astrological Perfumes, and Online Tarot Class can be found at tsusanchang.com Treat yourself to the tarot gift you've always wanted because you are a hero of the astral plane and we so appreciate your support.